Hello and welcome to the CSWC show. Uh, thanks for joining us as always. Please like and subscribe. We really appreciate your time. Also a big shout out to our partners at Betway. Check out betway.co.za for more information. Now my guest today, and I am incredibly excited, Steve looked at me and said, what's wrong with you this morning? It's Monday. You're so excited. I'm like, wait till I tell you who you got in studio. And he is arguably one of the greatest boxers, not in South Africa, but in the world. His name's Brian Mitchell. Brian, before we start, just just give people an idea of your record, please, because <laughs> I don't think a lot of people, maybe they need a refresher and how good you were, my friend. Uh, thank you, CS. Well, I'm a 14-time undefeated uh, WBA and IBF champion of the world. So I don't think it gets much bigger than that. Um, <laughs> it doesn't. I'm proud to say I'm the only South African boxer that's in the International Boxing Hall of Fame, the World Boxing Hall of Fame, and the South African Sports Hall of Fame. Um, yeah, very proud. Myself and Stan Crisadula are the only two South Africans in the International Boxing Hall of Fame. I do believe a guy like Viani Bungu could possibly get there. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm a proud former World Boxing Champion. No, absolutely. I mean... I remember the story. So I grew up in, in KwaZulu-Natal um, and I had my grandparents live in, uh, I'm not going to mention the place's name, but uh, quite a fancy area of Belito at the time. They stayed in a, in a nice uh, pl flat there. And every time we came to visit, they were like, you must keep an eye out for Brian Mitchell. <laughs> Brian Mitchell lives in the penthouse here. Brian Mitchell. Oh, the Belito. Yeah. Yes, I'm in the penthouse. <laughs> exactly. So uh, that was... That was my first exposure to you. And okay. the one day you actually walked past, it was many, many years ago, and signed an, an autograph. So Cool, so you and, owe me for that autograph. Uh, absolutely. Because <laughs> <laughs> I became famous after that. <laughs> <laughs> now I no, charge you were for very famous. But anyway, yeah, it's uh, it's just so cool to have you in studio. And, and firstly, congratulations also, Ricardo Malajika winning Fantastic. the title. I just want to tell you firstly, while we, you're talking about mm. you at Durban, I, my dad won the South African bantamweight, South African title, in his third professional fight in Durban at the old ice rink. My dad lived in Durban, actually. Amazing. So although we, I grew up in Joburg, my, my, my mom and dad divorced and he moved to Durban. And that's where he won the SA title. A lot of people don't know my dad was South African bantamweight yeah. champion in 1962. So it does run in the genes. But yeah, thank you. Ricardo Malajika was absolutely amazing. That's my other baby. It's my adopted son that's out of my gym. He's our first IBO world champion at the gym, and we're hoping to make many more. Did you tell him to dye his hair purple? Was that his game? <laughs> I mean, uh, pink. Sorry. Yeah, he's the. <laughs> no, you know what? People people have, have have got like images that they they work with, and 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 it's nice for somebody to do something different. Yeah. So Ricardo does the pink, and it works for him. Promoter Rodney Berman said to me the one day, funny enough, he said, "Is Ricardo going to dye his hair pink?" And I thought maybe he would. He didn't like it, and I said, "Why?" He said, "Yeah, because it looks nice." And I didn't think I want to hear that from the promoter. So yeah, that's our thing. He actually wanted to put in his pink tassels as well, but his hair wasn't long enough, okay. so it, it wasn't holding. But um, yeah, very proud of Ricardo Monajika winning that IBO world title. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, what's next for him? When can we expect him? Because we got a target on his back now. Yeah, so there, there's there's a big tournament now with uh, Kevin Lorena on the 25th of November at Empress Palace. Kevin Larina is going to fight for an interim WBC world title. So that's a massive fight with Rock Knapp on the undercard. So Ricardo is going to uh, take a break from that tournament. But in February, definitely be back on Golden Gloves at Empress Palace. Fantastic. Um, with guys like Shavante Koopman, who was absolutely magic That's as well. right, yeah. And that's one of my other fighters I'm proud of. So, Brian, as someone who's so entrenched in boxing, in South African boxing for so many years, 
What do you make of the current South African boxing scene? Because it feels like it's back on an upward trajectory after a little bit of a dip. Yeah, it definitely does. Yes, you know, we, we went through a, a dip for a couple of years and it. But you know what I always say to people? Like boxing was like the second biggest sport in the country in the 80s after football. You know, I think it's bigger, bigger than football in, in the world really. And boxing was massive, but then the other sports grew so big. You know, the IPL with the cricket. I mean, our rugby players, I'm a massive rugby fan, winning three World Cups. We, we're just massive now in yeah. rugby as well. So boxing fell down the ladder a little bit, but uh, it's definitely never died. It's, it's always been hanging in there. And like you said now, you saw at Empress Palace, what a wonderful show we had there with Golden Gloves. Um, boxing, there, there's talent again. Mm. I mean, there's the Quipmans and there's the Naps and there's the Malajikas and there's the Larinas. These guys can fight. Yeah. Um, what, what brings me to my, my sort of question is, I think the beauty of boxing is that you don't need a lot. You, you know what I mean? You don't need the cricket equipment mm. or, I mean, you get into a gym, there's normally an old pair of gloves there. It's a poor man's sport. It is, but it's something that can lead to changing lives. And I mean, we're seeing now a guy like Rourke, a guy like Sivanati and Chinga, um, Ricardo, uh, Kevin, I mean, all these guys. They're yeah. tasting that success. Well, yeah. If, if you look back on you know, the history of boxers, most boxers come from from poor backgrounds. From from you know, uh, they they had nothing when yeah. growing up. I grew up in at Alice Park in Troyville. There, I started as a nine year old at the Alice Park Club. And really, if you go back in the history of boxing, the Ricardo, Ricardo Malajika is a wonderful story. He's, his little baby from South Hills had nothing. Six brothers, and they lived in a small little shack, and the shack burned down. It, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful story and a long story. And 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 every fighter, you look back at, at every great fighter, and like you said, the, the nice thing about boxing is you don't need much to be a boxer. Yeah. And and that helps because you just got to go to the boxing club. If you don't have gloves or a skipping rope, the trainer will, or the manager will, will lend you gloves and mm. a skipping rope. In my time in, in Malvern, nobody owned anything. Us, us poor kids, <laughs> we just arrived at the gym and the trainer said, here's your gloves and your rope, you know, go. And uh, yeah, it's wonderful that you can turn your life and, and make a big success out of boxing. But it, you know, you are what you put into yeah. life. You got to be dedicated, disciplined, and very determined to be a good boxer, because boxing is so one-on-one. -on -one, you know, it's, there's nowhere to hide. Yeah. When you get in that ring, I'm not saying any other sport is easier, but like in rugby, when you're running, you pass the ball. In soccer, you pass the ball. Um, if you in in a in a MMA fight, you go to the ground, you get a chance to breathe, you grapple. In a, when a boxer's facing each other, there's nowhere to go. Yeah. If a guy's punching you in the face, you're on your own. And, and that's what makes it one of the toughest sports in the world. I would say one of the toughest sports, maybe the toughest sport in the world. Do you have a memory of when, I mean, obviously boxing runs in your, in your DNA and your family with your dad, but do you have a moment where you were like, this is the sport for me or was there only ever boxing? <laughs> no, just only boxing. So, so when I was five years old, my mom and dad got divorced. My mom and dad were very young. They, they were too young to have me. I was a big accident. But I don't suppose it was such a bad accident in the end now. Um, blessing. They, yeah, blessing. Yeah, but they were very young. So they, they were too young to have a child. But anyway, the, things happened and I got divorced at a young age and I grew up with my mom. And um, yeah, it was, it was always boxing. I, I knew that Brian Mitchell was my father. He was a street fighter. He was a hooligan. And he had, he had won a South African boxing title. So when I was a little kid of eight years old already, I was telling my mother, this is what I want to do. My mom was dead against it, funny enough. My mom said, no, only little boy is not going to get punched in the face. 
And I said to him, well, that's what I want to do. I don't yeah. want to do anything else. I don't want to play any other sport. I want to box. So my mom then took me to the Alice Park Boxing Club when I was nine. Harold Fulbright lived in the same street as me, funny enough, in Troyville. He was 14 then. He's five years older than me. He used to hold my hand and walk me up to the boxing gym. We used to go twice a week. And, um, yeah, obviously the, the rest is history. We moved to Malvern where I had most of my amateur fights and uh, became a successful boxer. But it, it, it's always what I wanted to do. I was a good rugby player, Jeppy, okay. but... But rugby, funny enough, was I was getting too many injuries playing rugby. So it, it, it was affecting my boxing because I was hurting my ankle and getting tackled hard. Uh, but I thought it wasn't a bad scrum off, but, uh, but obviously <laughs> I chose the right sport. Eh? Did you ever throw one or two there? Yeah, yeah we used to fight. Eh? I'm a Jeppy boy. Eh? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Know, I, Dalton was uh, after me. Uh, I, I was there as a scrum off throwing punches too. But... Um, yeah, it, it was always boxing was always my first love. I was a good cross-country runner, okay. which actually helps for, yeah. for boxing. Uh, You've got to be a good runner to be a good boxer. When guys get tired in a fight, the first thing I say is these guys are not running properly because you've got to run to build up that stamina yeah. in the chest. Um, yeah, so it's, boxing's everything I always wanted, and so, it's given me everything. Uh, I was about to say, I think the, the humble beginnings where you came from to where, you know, you were like, world famous still still world famous today hall of fame all that but it's amazing what sport can do for you if if you have enough dedication and talent and perseverance yeah no it's mind-boggling i mean if you look at uh, one of the greatest fighters ever a guy like floyd mayweather where he comes from i mean floyd mayweather's father was a drug addict his mother was a drunkard uh they were walking the streets barefoot uh, you know in america and he, he's a billionaire today in dollars. Yeah. And, and that's thanks to boxing. Yeah. So, he, you know, he gave everything to boxing and boxing gave it back to him. And the same for me. That's why I'm sitting having this fantastic interview with you, is because I made it in boxing that yeah. I, as a 62-year-old, I can still sit here and happily tell you about, about my life. And it's all thanks to boxing. But, I mean, obviously, I had to put of course. everything into it. So it works both ways. It's, it's a marriage <laughs> where you've you got to bo both give everything. Marriage of violence. Yeah. Blood, yeah. sweat, and tears. Yeah, look, it's it's it, it's it's a very tough sport, but it's it's so rewarding. Yeah. You know, when, when, when you win a world title and you win big fights, you feel like you, 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 you're walking on water. You feel like you're in a cloud, you know. you And, and the fitness level to get to a world champion, to, to get to that weight and, and to be able to fight a 15-round fight, it's it's a fitness that you can't even explain. Yeah, uh, That's something people ask me now, do I miss boxing? I say, well, I'm still in boxing. You know, I'm a commentator. I'm mm. a, I own a gym. I'm a, a manager. But I miss the fitness, that, that, that ultimate fitness of being a boxer. I don't think there's a sportsman on the planet that can be fitter than a boxer. I don't think so. Uh, I look at... The rounds. A good boxer, that is. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people claim to be boxing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but Brian, you speak about that world title. Um, and before we get to your first world title, do you remember your your, your first ever fight um, back in 1981, August 15? You fought uh, Joseph, I'm going to butcher his surname here, I apologize. Moniani, I think it is. Yeah, something like it. Um, do you remember that? And can you take us there? No, absolutely. I, I, I do because it's, uh, you, you know, with boxing as well, there, there's so many different levels. So now you become an amateur boxer when I was yeah. nine years old and you're getting punched in the face for the first time when your mom didn't want you to box and you're thinking maybe she was right. And, and then it's tough yeah. to become a boxer. Now, now you go from nine, you become a senior when you're 17 and now the guys become men. Yeah. Now you've got to fight these flipping men in the ring that can really crack. 
and that's tough. Yeah. And then you become a pro boxer when you're 19, and now you're taking your vest off. You're going in front of more people than you've ever seen in your life, and you're on a professional undercard of all these big champions, these Adolf Forbrachs and Gerdy Kutsias and that, all your childhood heroes. And it's tough because it's, the, the pressure's on. And you want to win and you need to win. And then to fight for a South African title as a pro is massively hard. Yeah. And then world title, even the next level. And then when you win the world title, you've got to keep it because everybody wants to take your head off. <laughs> everybody wants what you got. Yeah. Because he sees you driving a fancy car and living in a fancy house and, and got the belts. That person wants that belt. Yeah. So sometimes, so we were allowed to fight guys in the top, they had to be in the top 10 to defend your world title. Okay. And every nine months you fight the number one contender. Yeah. And in between the nine months, you can pick one or two guys, but they've got to be in the top 10. So you pick a guy who you think's the easiest in the top 10, an Italian or whatever it is. It looks like an average club fighter. When you get in the ring with that guy, he becomes a monster, he becomes an animal because he wants what you got. Yeah. It's not that club fighter you saw on video. This has come to take your head off. Yeah. So it never gets easier and, and, and you've got to keep the title and then you get older and it's harder to make the weight and now you're 30 and you're fighting Tony Lopez in America. He, he, does it ever get easy? But it's... <laughs> It's rewarding. It's the most rewarding sport that 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 I've ever done, obviously, and uh, and, and achieved those arts. And I love that because I got to meet Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela wanted to meet me. Flew I was me to say, Cape. Yeah. It doesn't get bigger than that. No. The president of the country, his name's Nelson Take Mandela. Take us there. How did it all come about? So, yeah, so I, I got a call one day in 94 um, that Nelson Mandela would like to meet me in Cape Town. So I, th I thought it's Leon Schuster or somebody. <laughs> okay. I thought, no, these guys are playing a prank on me. Yeah. Where does the, how does the president of, of, of South Africa want to meet me? I, I'd retired. I retired at the end of 91. And they told me, no, Nelson Mandela is a massive boxing fan. He followed your whole career. And then obviously I found out that Nelson Mandela was a boxing man. Flew me to Cape Town, met him there at the, at the Tainas in Cape Town at the president's wow. office. And we didn't speak politics, but I knew nothing about politics, but he, he didn't want to speak politics anyway. You know, he, he was the great Nelson Mandela. It was only boxing, and he loved meeting me almost as much as I enjoyed meeting him. He, he signed a, a book of, of his autobiography to me, and I gave him one of mine. And um, yes, so it doesn't get bigger than that. You know? And then there was Nelson Mandela, and then I got to meet Sugar Ray Leonard, one of my heroes. Yeah. I got to meet him, and, and then I met Mike Tyson at the Hall of Fame. And backstage, before we were getting our rings and that, uh, I said to Mark, I said, I've been a fan of yours. I love the way you smashed the guys. He said to me, Brian Mitchell, I'm a fan of yours too. I thought, yo, that's coming from Mark Tyson, you know. Wow. So, <laughs> so I've, be, I've been at the, at the in the big league, you know. Absolutely. And, and that's what boxing's given me. That's, yeah. It's, it's all thanks to boxing. And I suppose the, the interesting thing is you say meeting Mandela and not wanting to talk about politics or anything like that, but your career was pretty much in the darkest time of South Africa's history, in, in apartheid, in in this uh, time of sanctions, of, you know, discrimination, a, a terrible time yes. for South Africa. And your fights weren't even in front of South Africans. You had to travel to fight. I mean, that must have been difficult at the time. Yeah, but I, I think what what prepared me well, CS, was that in the early days, you know, I love Francois Pina and Nelson Mandela, obviously. And they, they got the credit in 95 of bringing the country together. But uh, when I tell you a boxing story, we in the 80s, in the early 80s, 82, 83, 
uh, guys like myself and Harold Forbert, we went into the townships and we fought in the townships and we were friends with everybody yeah. in the township. We were heroes in the townships. Uh, there's one funny story I must tell you quickly. I, I fought a guy from the free state that brought him up to Soweto. Now, the, the Soweto promoter, black promoter, puts the tournament on and he wants Mitchell against the guy f from the free state. So now the, the Soweto guys, are they supporting me? This little white guy fighting this black That's, guy in Soweto. Yeah. I mean, it is amazing. That's amazing. They were carrying me up on their shoulders. You know, those are the kind of stories that, that I, I, I can relive in my life. That that um, And apartheid was a terrible thing, but we couldn't understand that yeah. because we, we weren't you racist. You were born into it. We you know? weren't racist. Yeah. For us, it, it doesn't matter what color you are yeah. putting your hand in a boxing glove. Yeah. You were a boxer. You, you were there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Maraki was my friend, you know, the late Jacob Maraki and I but were good friends. So... Yeah, I've done it all. I've fought in the townships and then, to answer your question, went out there and, and, and fought uh, overseas so many times and had to fight overseas. And it was sad for me. I, I would love to have fought at Sun City again, defend my title in front of Saul Kersner and Anneling Kriel, who gave me the opportunity. Alice Park, I mean, that's where I was born. I'm a Lions supporter. I, yeah. I do died, love, the, <laughs> love Alice Park. I started boxing there. I would love to afford it at Alice Park, you know, even Loftus where Harry could see a fort in front of 80,000 people. That's mad. I can't I even imagine that these days. You know, like no, with no, all you due were. respect, you, you have your, your various things and Empress Palace obviously is, is, a, is a key place, I suppose the home of boxing in South Africa now. Yes. Um, but that's like a couple thousand people. I'm trying to like imagine, and I know Kevin experienced it when he fought Dubois at yes. Wembley, but imagine oh. in South Africa, and and the nice thing is we, we know we've been there. We've done yeah. it. So it's not like uh, it can't happen. Yeah. I mean, Harry had, what, 70,000, 80,000 people at Loftus Fairfield when he fought John Tate. So we have done it. You know, yeah. us South Africans have been on on the big stage, like you said, Kevin Lorraine on the undercard of Tyson Fury in front of 70,000 people. Um, we, we, we've been there. And boxing's been on the, on the highest level. Yeah. And like, like we started the conversation earlier on, where is boxing now? In South Africa, I think we, we're pretty cool now. We, as you saw the, the last tournament, Rock Knapp looked good. Uh, yeah. Shavante Koopman looked great. You know, the young Ricardo Malajika looked very good. So we've got good guys coming yeah. through the ranks, and, and Kevin's our, one of our golden boys fighting in November. Absolutely. Um, let's dial it back to where you were saying, you know, making, going overseas. I suppose the first time, you will never forget that when you went overseas and had to fight and represent South Africa. I'm sure the world's media, sports media, would have been looking at you going, who is this South African guy from apartheid South Africa fighting overseas? What yeah. is he doing? Well, it and, must and have been tough. It, it was very tough. And, and like I said earlier, and the sad thing is they, they, they branded me a racist with, with not even knowing who I was. Yeah. And I didn't care anything about politics. I was a world champion boxer. My whole life was just zoned in on boxing. And I definitely was the furthest thing from a racist. It wasn't even in my mind. And uh, but when I got to Puerto Rico, it was a 15 round fight with Joe Rivera, and I'd never been knocked down ever. Not yeah. not in the few street fights I had at Jeppy Boys, <laughs> or the, which I didn't have many street fights by the way. And but uh, I'd never been knocked down ever. Not in the ring. Not in my 110 amateur fights. And Joe Rivera hit me down with a with a straight right. He hit me right through my guard. Wow. So I had my hands up yeah. nice and high, and he whacked me straight through the middle down. And I went down, I thought, geez, did that really happen? But lucky as fit, you know, I got up and recovered quickly. And then I beat him over 15 to retain my title. 
but uh, it was a big shock. Now this yeah. was in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Then I went. Then I went to Panama, and I went to France, and I went to Spain. I went to Italy five times, London to fight Jim McDonald, uh, and I fought Joe Rivera again. When I went to Spain, he knocked me down now with a left hook. I mean, it was insane. <laughs> You're like, what's going on? Here? Yeah. Well, what's happening? So now I'm watching the. I'm waiting for the right hand. Yeah. He misses me with the right hand. He throws it down. He hits me with the left hook, off my feet. So it's not supposed to happen. I'm the world champion. <laughs> exactly. I'm fit. And lucky I was exceptionally fit. So I got up and, and I beat Joe Rivera again. But um, yeah, they you know they asked me which was your toughest fight. I always say my ex-wife. But <laughs> both ex first ex-wives. Yeah, to mark that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, Joe Rivera was. So he was like a Mike Tyson of of my division. Yeah. So it was tough going out and fighting in the world against the the partisan crowd. You know they. Everybody booed me and wasn't for me. And, and being a South African made it even worse kind of thing. Yeah. Because the, they just decided to brand me as a racist. And as I said, that's the furthest thing I was. Towards the, the my last seven world title fights, I had Murphy, Murphy Griffith, mm. a black man from San Diego, from America. And uh, I, he was my trainer because he was the best in the world. And so definitely the furthest thing from, from being a racist. Um. Surely there was some support, though, for your boxing prowess because, I mean, the fact that you, you won how many world titles defended, you know, you were a dominant force in your weight division at the time. Surely a lot of media were like, well, we can put the, the racism factor, apartheid aside, and focus on the incredible champion that Brian Mitchell is. Yeah, thanks, but they, they didn't. You know, they, they rode with the, the whole apartheid thing and that they, um, that gave them a better story, according to them. Yeah. That uh, this guy's still from South Africa and uh, doesn't doesn't matter what he says. You know, there's apartheid and all that. And uh, it, it was tough. Like, Jim McDonald was about my fifth uh, world title defense and it was terrible in London. And uh, in America as well, you know, they, they gave me a hard time. when Protesters I, and everything. Protesters, yeah, yeah, especially in London. That when I fought McDonald, the, the protesters were outside the building picketing and, and shouting and throwing me at things. So it, it was hard. In uh, I had the same uh, when, when I fought in Italy. I had the fans there telling me I was a racist and throwing me with – because I was South African. Yeah. You know? mm, I think eventually – but well, then I was retiring. I think when I beat Tony Lopez, eventually maybe the, the media said, okay, this Mitchell's had 14 world title fights. Uh, let's give him a bit of credit. Uh, the fact that I'm inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in America really makes me proud because yeah. that is that meant, to answer your question, that, that means that the world media did change their mind. Yeah. Because it, it, it's the world media that votes you into the International Boxing Hall of Fame. Yes. And they voted this little South African. So I did get there. Ah, it's, it's amazing. Um, you speak about the Lopez. A lot of people think that when you fought Lopez the second time, that that was arguably one of the toughest fights also of your career, but also almost like this Brian Mitchell, even though it was towards the end of your career, it was like Brian Mitchell's still the real deal. Is that fair? Is that a fair comment? Yeah, I th you know, I think uh, unfortunately for Lopez, I, I hadn't, uh, I, I wasn't past my best yet. I, mm. I was looking at retiring. The the weird thing is, I wanted to retire after three defenses. Okay, I had I had this thing in my head. You had a few more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had this thing in my head: win a world title, equal Victor Wheel's record of three defenses, which is which is our greatest at the time, uh, and then get your belt and get a million in the bank and retire. Yeah. So when I got there, I said to my manager, "Okay, I'm thinking of retiring." But I was 27 years old. He said, retiring. He said, this is when you make the money. 
I said, yeah, but I've had a few defenses. I don't want to be brain dead, you know. Yeah, true. I always had this in my head, which which is a good thing, I suppose. And uh, But then it just snowballed. I just went on to defend. And, and I started enjoying boxing even more late in my career. You know, obviously I got better and fitter. And um, I just kept kept rolling. I was, yeah. I was fighting four times a year, defending my world title around the world. And then I'd actually retired before the Lopez fight and Rodney Berman phoned me and said, listen, I can get you a unification. And I said, no, I don't think I'm done. I've, I've had 11 defenses of the world title. I'm going to buy a house in Cape Town. And when I'm going to chill on the beach with my kids. And I've, I've done it. What yeah. more can I do in boxing? And he said, you can do one thing more. You can go and fight Tony Lopez for a, for a unification, the biggest thing in the world. Sure. And I got back in the gym and uh, in 1991, March, I went, fought Lopez, got a draw, but I suppose – Getting a draw in Sacramento is like a win. I was about to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you get a draw there. You, yeah. you actually got to knock the guy out to get a draw. So, um, yeah, yeah. So I got a draw with Tony Lopez. And then I said I'd never fight again. And then um, Berman phoned me six months later. He said, okay, well, let's do it one more time. I said, okay, cool, but let's do it in South Africa. You know, well, why America? And he said, no, the, the money's in America. You've got to go back to America. I said, okay, cool, but not Sacramento. Yeah. He said, no, the money's in Sacramento. <laughs> you got to go fight Lopez at home. HBO is going to do it live. Nasha was throwing in the money. Supersport is throwing in the money. And of course, Golden Gloves was my promoters with Cedric Kushner. And it was a massive fight for me. It was the end of my career. It was my biggest payday. And I, I stuck to my word. I said, that's my pension money. I'm, I'm going to have my last world title fight. And that was my last world title fight. The, the final... The final fight when you eventually hung up the gloves, was it like surreal or was it sad or was it a feeling of relief? Because it's not an easy decision to make, um, but it's a decision you have to make, I think, and only you can make that decision. Yeah, you know, see, it's the thing is, the same as when you become a pro boxer. I mean, nobody's holding a gun to your head and forcing you, not your parents, not anybody saying, you must become a professional boxer. That's what you want to do. So when it's the end of your career, you must look in the mirror and it's the same thing. You must say, listen, it's time to get out. You've got you to look at your timing. Mm. So now, even though I was young at 30, but at 30, I'd had 49 pro fights. I was about to say. And 110 amateur fights. Yeah. And I'm only, I'm only 30 years old. So I was like uh, an old 30-year-old, let's say. I mean, like a Shavante Quipan who fought the other night, he's, he's 29 and he's had 12 fights. You know, I, I, so yeah. I was, I'd had 49 <laughs> and 110 amateur um, I think I was just good with that. You know, I, I spoke to, and, and Rodney Berman was always like my mentor and and, and, and he was, and I said to him, you know, I think I'm going to call it. Eh? And he said to me, well, you can, you can make a few million dollars if, if you stay in a few more. Um, but obviously that, that's your call. I said, no, I'm, I'm going to walk. I was never the guy that needed to buy myself a jet and all yeah. that. Well, I couldn't afford a jet, but um, I, I wasn't looking at that. I was looking at my health and I was looking at, at my career and I thought, you know, I've done it properly. Let me, let me walk away. Uh, and I walked away. I, I did have the two comeback fights at Sun City where I was going to, I was going to go to lightweight and fight Nazarov, the guy that beat Tobela. And in those two comeback fights, I realized two years later, I realized that it's really now time to retire. Your timing's not what it was. You know, you can just you feel, feel it. In the I was going to say it's a feel. Hey? Yeah, it's a feel because yeah. you can see the punches coming, yeah. but you can't get out the way. Yeah. So in my heyday, I'd do this and you wouldn't hit me. Now I'd do this and you'd hit me twice. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, because you just, you, yeah, it's, the, the timing goes. Absolutely. You know, everybody, there's father time in boxing, especially in a sport like boxing. Absolutely. And I'd started young in my career. So, so it was really time to get out and I was happy with my decision and, uh, you know, from there I con continued being, being, I could be a businessman at yep. least and, 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 and use my, my name.
I've got to ask you, Brian, when you won world titles, did you like celebrating that? How do you celebrate a world title? Because you must feel on top of the world and even more so when you defend a title, like you feel bulletproof. Yeah, you do, but you don't. Well, you, you can if you want to, but I didn't. You, you don't celebrate with alcohol. Yeah. You, you just, uh, you know, you just with your family, you just get together and you and you you celebrate the win. Yeah. So I was, I was the kind of guys always stay back in the gym. I would, I would pig out for a week, um, eat whatever I wanted to for a week, which is the stuff that you were craving for months. <laughs> uh, the Chelsea buns and the Coke and the burger and whatever it is, which you can't have when you're fighting. Mm. I would do that for a week, but I was very good at getting back in the gym. So a week after my world titles, I was back. In fact, uh, when I was in Panama, it got into the media that they saw me running the day after the fight. I knocked the Panamanian out in the 14th <laughs> round, and the next day I went for a run. I just felt like loosening up, and and, and the, the media got hold of it that Mitchell's training, and he's just won a defender of his world title. <laughs> And in America, the one day they saw me swimming in the pool at three o'clock in the morning. So I, if I couldn't sleep, which is jet lag and that as well, I would just go to the gym. And do so something, yeah. That's how important I, I took it, you know. The, on a Sunday, rest day, after training twice a day, every day, six days a week, you're supposed to rest. I didn't rest. I'd get up and think, maybe my opponent is training. I'm just going to go run. Yeah, the champion's mindset, right? Yeah, just that champion's mindset, and and I, that that obviously what 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 made me stand out, you know, to to get that ring belt, even which we can talk about, uh, to be the best. I, I think I had the mindset where I only had to beat one guy. We, people, it is a tough sport, boxing, but I think comrades is even harder because you've got to beat twenty thousand guys. So Bruce Fordas is a friend of mine, and I think that's even harder than boxing. You've got to beat twenty thousand guys. Boxing, you only have to beat one guy. But you have to be better than that one guy. Yeah. If you're not better than that one guy, obviously you take a hiding. Yeah. So I want I made sure that I was better than that one guy every time I fought. And it is just doing that extra bit of training and, and hard work uh, everywhere. I was gonna say, like, is that what got you out of bed in the mornings? Is that the the fire in your belly? And I use that a lot on the show, but I I love finding out what drives and you were a world class athlete. Is that what was it was that my, my opponent might be training right now and I need to be fitter, fitter, stronger, and faster than him? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I said to you earlier on, um, off air, the, the guys that, um, when you watch guys now, if, if they're tired in the fourth run, then they're not running properly. Because mm. you're going to get tired, you're human. You know, but, but you get your second wind much quicker if you've done the running. So what I insist on my guys now, my Malachikas and Kupmans and Naps and whatever they are, Running, running, running. Other than boxing, obviously. Yes. Boxing is your sport. You've got to get to the gym and spa three, four times a week. That's the main thing. But running's the the second priority. You've got to run as hard as you can. And boxing's a sprint. You know, you fight for three minutes, you rest for a minute. So I, I insist that they, they sprint when they, when they go run. And don't just go for a casual jog. Yeah. You must get tired. And, and that's the road work. There's tons yeah, of yeah, tons of Yeah, and you must choose heels and yeah. you must flip and get tired, you know? Because when you get in that ring, you're going to get tired. Absolutely. And the oak's going to be mooding you. So you gotta, <laughs> you got to be ready for that. And, and you got to go to war. And when, 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 when somebody's tired in the war, you must take over. And, and that's how I used to look at it. You know, by the third, fourth round, I would watch, whether it's Tony Lopez, whoever, he wore a black gum guard. And I'll never forget, I used to watch that mouth of his. And when his mouth starts opening, I can see that gum guard. I know, okay, this like breathing hard now. It's time to fire. Yeah. And then I just go to the next level. And I think that's what I loved about guys like um, Floyd Mayweather, for example, Sugar Ray Leonard. They could go to another level. 
and, and I taught myself to go to another level. So if I was fighting a guy like Tony Lopez, who was as good as me in every department, maybe even better in some departments, he was, he was a better body puncher. Yeah. We had the same jab, he was, had the same skill, but I had to just do that little bit more. Was he the toughest you've ever faced? Probably the best opponent I ever faced. But like I said, it's all levels. So, yeah. you know, when I fought Alfredo Lane, I was a 25-year-old that had never fought for a title. The South African media and, and the international media said I wasn't ready. They said, this, I'm a good South African champion, but I won't win a world title. And I said, I will win a world title. And you proved I'm them not, wrong. I'm not getting out that <laughs> ring without that world title. And then, you know, later life, so I got, I got, the, I got the ring belt. Yeah, I was about which, to say, which is amazing. Thank you. And, and, and that's thanks to my wife, Charlene. So... It's a crazy story because a lot of people don't even know. When I beat Alfreda Lane, uh, Alfreda Lane had beaten Wilfredo Gomez, who was the best fighter in the world. So he was the ring champion. And Alfreda Lane knocked him out. Well, Lane wasn't supposed to win. Knocked, knocked him out and he became the, the ring champion. The ring cha means you, you're the best in, your, yeah. in the world in any, in any organization. And so I knocked out Lane. So I was supposed to get a ring belt. And this is like 37 years ago. <laughs> And my wife said to me about two years ago, she said, but you've got every, everything, but you don't have a ring belt. And everybody talks about this ring belt. Yeah. So I said, I don't know why I don't have a ring belt. And, and she, she got into it and she found out and she, she got them to deliver a ring belt to South Africa between her and Rodney Berman. Amazing. They presented me with a ring belt in December. So I got it 37 years later, <laughs> which is probably even better. Absolutely more was, special. Because I was getting so many things in 86. So it's, it's a great story, yeah, that yeah. they actually for, they forgot about me because I'm South African. So, so what happened in, in 86, because of apartheid yeah. and because of sanctions and because of the state of the country, they didn't care that I was a world champion to give me a ring belt. So they actually forgot about me. But anyway, my That's wife, Charlene, didn't forget about me. Well done, Charlene. Good job. <laughs> Thanks, um, yes. What, what I would like to find out is currently at the moment, you look at the boxing landscape outside of South Africa, across the world, we just had Usyk and, and Dubois fight. Yeah. We've got uh, Fury, uh, Nganu. Not so yeah, I don't know about that fight. But um, a guy like Tyson Fury, regardless, um, a phenomenal fighter. But you look around, there's Davis, there's Garcia, all these, uh, Lomachenko, you name it. Mm -hmm. Who stand, Yeah, who stands out, I mean, for you currently? I know Hickey is fighting recently. He's also been a phenomenal uh, boxer. Hickey Butler's been great, yeah. But if, who stands if, if out? If Hickey Butler wins next week, um, this, I'm happy to say he's up there with me as South Africa's best, you know, because then he's won. Then there's nothing he hasn't won. Yeah. Because uh, Hickey Butler's phenomenal. So uh, good luck to him. That's a tough fight in Japan. Very tough. Uh, who stands out to me? Uh, Lomachenko. I love Lomachenko. I thought he was robbed against Haney. It was a tight fight, mm. but I thought he should have got it. He threw more punches. Haney's great as Haney's well. Haney's also, yeah. Uh, Tank Davis is, is brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't like Tyson Fury, but he, he's, the, he's the best of the, of the bunch now. Um, a guy like Lennox Lewis would have smashed him. Mike Tyson probably would have smashed him as well. Might have been a bit short, but he would have still got inside. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't really rate the, the heavyweights of today. So an Usyk and that doesn't really... Usyk's good, but Joshua. He, he, was, he, he was a great uh, cruiserweight. Yeah. As a heavyweight, he's not really a puncher. You know, he's, he's slow as a heavyweight. But um, he's good. Usyk, I, I don't know what will happen with Usyk and, and uh, Tyson Fury because Tyson Fury is six foot nine. Yeah, he's so enormous. He's flipping a monster. The heavyweights are big today. Yeah. You know, they, they, they're massive compared to the old heavyweights. Uh, but, you know, I'm... I'm a Joe Louis fan. That's how far back I go. Okay. He had 25 defenses of the world title. 
to me, is the greatest heavyweight of all time. And then maybe Muhammad Ali. Yeah. And then the rest, you know. Um, you spoke of, of Harry Kutsir being um, yes. one of your, your idols. Uh, at that time, South African boxing just had so much talent, right? Um, is he the guy that you sort of, is there someone you molded your sort of style on? Or is it, you know, someone who you looked at and like, I want to be like that? Because I think there's always the danger of trying to mold yourself on, on someone else and not just in boxing, but in other sports too. And you kind of forget what made you successful. Is, is yeah, that a fair I, point? I, no, I don't think I really molded myself um, against anybody. My dad being my original hero and my, my dad, my main hero, um, I wanted to be a champion like my dad. Yeah. And then for, obviously I, I, I surpassed whatever he did. And uh, when I was a, a young pro, my, my dad told everybody, my son's going to do much bigger than I ever did. And and that worked out great, you know. But, um, yeah, uh, Gerry Kutsia was great. He was one, mm. one of my childhood heroes. Harold Forbrecht was was my boxing hero. When, yeah. when I turned pro, I couldn't believe I was fighting on the undercard of Harold Forbrecht. This is the guy that used to walk me to the yeah. Alice Park <laughs> Boxing Club. And he was my ultimate hero then. Arnold Taylor won the world title in South Africa. Remember, against mm -hmm. Romeo Naya was a family friend. Yeah. So I used to see him as a child, and I loved Arnold Taylor, and then he won the world title. Um, and But I, d I didn't really mold myself uh, around anybody. I, I loved watching Sugar Ray Leonard's probably one of my favorites okay. of all time. If I have to choose one greatest fighter of all time, Sugar Ray Robinson, greatest heavyweight, Joe Louis. Um I enjoyed Mike Tyson. I thought he was ferocious and that, but yeah. he wasn't wasn't the best either. And I wouldn't put Tyson Fury or Mike Tyson in my top ten of heavyweights okay. of all time. So, so then dream with me here, Brian. Okay, give me your your top five boxes of all time. Top five boxes of all time. Yeah, you are um, obviously number one in my opinion. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm definitely not. In the, no, I'm definitely not in the top hundred, even of best fighters of all time. No man. In 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 every weight division. I division. No, completely no, disagree with you. No, but anyway. Thank you. There's legends out there. Uh, top five: Sugar Ray Robinson, Joe Louis, uh, Muhammad Ali, um, Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Okay. I mean, that's that's a proper five uh, greatest fighters of all time. Absolutely. It doesn't, doesn't get bigger than that. Um. We've got a few more minutes before I let you go, Brian, but what's your advice? I mean, now that you've you've got a world champion in your stable, um, I'm a huge Raw Knapp fan. I think he's a phenomenal talent. Um, I haven't watched your other fighters as closely as I have Malajika and, and, and Raw Knapp, but having been there, done that, having worked, having won the titles, defended the titles, taken on adversity, you've come from humble beginnings and proved that it doesn't matter of your circumstances. It, it is what you make of it and how much you put in. What's your biggest advice now to your fighters who are all coming through the rank and someone who comes up to you and says, Brian, I, I want to be a boxer. I want to be a world champion one day. You, you got to stay humble. Yes. I think that that's the big thing, you know, obviously that as, as I said, dedication, discipline and determination. I love, I love those three words, the three D's I've got them on, on, on my wall at my gym. Uh, without that, you're nothing. You, you've got to, it's, it's everything or nothing in boxing. Yeah, but it's the same in life. You, you know, no, the, the money doesn't come easy. Most top businessmen have, have worked very hard yeah. to, to be successful. You don't, you don't make money being a gambler. You, you make money working hard. Mm. And in the fight game, it's, it's the, I mean, if, if you don't, if you don't play well in the, for the spring box, you sit on the bench exactly. uh, for spring box rugby. So, and it's the same in boxing, you know, you can't come second in boxing. 
I mean, coming second is, <laughs> is like kissing your sister. It's like, <laughs> lucky I don't have a sister. So, um, yeah, you really, you really can't come second in boxing. It's all or nothing. You've got to put your life on the line. So I say to youngsters, like, yeah, I, I agree with you, Rock Knapps, a, a, a good talent. Um, be dedicated, disciplined, and determined. It's a short span of your life. It's like 10 years, actually. Let's say 20 to 30, yeah. if you're really good and you're winning. Give 10 years of everything because otherwise, don't have regrets in life. You know, don't be 40 and say, yes, you know, if, if I trained harder when I was 25, I would have been a world champion. No, you must do it while you're 25. You mustn't have regrets. And w when you get out of a boxing ring, uh, don't have excuses. Don't say, if I ran harder or if I trained harder, I would have won. No, there's no ifs. That is your opportunity. When you get in that boxing ring, put everything on the line because it must come from your training. Your greatest memory of boxing ever. I mean, you've had a few, but there must be one that when you close your eyes and say goodbye to this world one day, um, that that might be one of the memories that sort of flashes through your, your mind? Yeah, well, there, there's two. See, I said, you know, I won two world titles. Mm. So, and, and it was just my life worked. So I think the big boss for that too because my, my life seemed to have just worked out perfectly, obviously because I was making it happen from my, my, my training. But I was 19 when I turned pro. I was 21 South African champion, defended that eight times. I was 25 world champion. I was 30 when I had my next world title fight and then got out. It, it kind of worked age-wise. It worked out perfectly for me. But to answer your question properly, beating Alfreda Lane, there's nothing bigger on this That's planet. Yeah. He has this 25-year-old, not even supposed to win. They think I'm not going to win. I'm telling the media I'm going to win. And to see Lane get tired in the 10th round when I was smashing him, and, and when he went down for the third time and I was crowned world champion, it was like <laughs> mind-boggling. I felt like, like I wanted to fly, you know? Yeah. So, uh, and, and, then, and then the cherry on the cake is going to Sacramento at the end of my career where they thought I was done uh, and beating the great Tony Lopez. He'd beaten five world champions. You know, he'd beaten Hoggy Paez, he'd beaten Joey Gamash, he'd beaten Rocky Lockridge, yeah. he'd beaten um, John John Molina, he beat Tobella. He beat legends, yeah, and and I I beat him, so that was like the cherry on the cake. So, yeah, so that, I want to be remembered by those two big world title fights. Well, as I say, you you were a legend, a living legend. You've done South African world boxing, um, such a huge. How can I say this? It's it's beyond words what you've achieved because for this kid who comes from Troyville in Johannesburg. <laughs> to be top of the world and with the record you have, Brian, you, you, yeah, you deserve everything and more in your, uh, your career. You've done a phenomenal job and you're such an amazing ambassador for the sport. Keep up the great work and thanks for being on the show, man. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. I just want to finish by saying that the great thing also now with my name is that I can raise a lot of money for charities. That's right. I, I guest speak at golf days and raise money for charities. It's one of my, my loves in life that I can give back to the communities. So I'm involved in about four or five uh, golf day charities every month. Now, please give and them a shout out. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody can give me a shout out who wants to use me at a yeah. golf day. I'm the guest speaker and I bring an auctioneer and memorabilia of, of all the famous sportsmen that I've met. And we, we raise money for charities. You know, I'm out there to, to help the underprivileged. I'm the ambassador for the GMF Foundation. Um, I help reach for a dream. Just uh, some of my charities that are. And I'm a guy that likes to give back. And it's all thanks to boxing. So yeah. and thank you to South Africa for supporting me in this amazing journey. And, and I haven't uh, emigrated and I'm not going to.
Well, you're an icon and an absolute Thanks. living legend. Thank you very much. And we look forward to hearing you on commentary and all the other incredible work you do. So, Brian Mitchell, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, CS. Great to be on your podcast. Well, that's it for the show. Thank you very much for tuning in. We always appreciate your time. Brian Mitchell, what a legend. Uh, such a huge fan. And uh, it's great to have him here and share his journey. And uh, keep an eye on Brian Mitchell and everything he's done. Also, big shout out to Betway, our proud partners. Check out betway.co.za for more information. See you next time.